What's going on, guys? Welcome to Fight On once again. My boy Raul's in the building. What up, Raul? What's up, what's up? Welcome back, guys. Good. And anyone that's new listening, I hope you like MMA. That's right, man. So what are we going to cover today is, of course, we had ESPN Las Vegas 3, as they call it. I don't know what to call these events anymore because they, they switch so many platforms. But stay tuned if you like uh, you know, any kind of recap that we're about to do. We're about to touch the main fights, including uh, Curtis Blades and Emmett, who we love to watch. Uh, we're also going to talk about Camacho's performance, if you were a fan of our podcast previously, and uh, a couple of dilemmas with coaching and MMA. So stay tuned. You're still here. That's awesome. So, uh, Raul, uh, let's let's just start off with the basics, man. What was uh, your favorite fight of the night? And then I'll go into uh, our boy Camacho for a second because I really want to touch up on that. For sure, for sure. Well, I think I think everyone's favorite fight was definitely that co-main event. Um, it it was no surprise. That's what everyone expected was going to happen in terms of you know the violence and the the action from both these guys, the hard hitters, the guys that are going out there trying to make a name for themselves. So, I, I definitely in terms of. Um, a full brawl that was the fight to watch um and the, but we, we always have a couple of highlights in terms of you know cool jiu-jitsu technique and stuff like that but i'm telling you man emmett and burgos bro warriors absolutely i really really love that fight it was fight of the night if my opinion fight of the night for sure um for obvious reasons performance of the night is hard to call because you have a lot of people with a lot of decent finishes in the game um so that being said I, it's going to be tough, but I do know it was fight of the night. They both hung in there. They were both tough dudes. They were both hitting each other hard, and, and, and Emmett's leg was severely hurt, and he hit it. He got hurt in the first, what, 20 seconds of the fight. His leg gave out. His knee was jacked, and he stuck in there, and he was throwing the knee, throwing the legs, throwing the punches, everything you're not supposed to do on that leg. So props to Emmett on that. Yeah, many props to Burgos as well. You can really see uh, he once he started really feeling those hits, He's okay. I got to attack the legs. Got to take that power off of him, make it a little less painful. I wouldn't say it was too effective. Emmett still brought it, but man, Burgos, a warrior, kept pushing forward, kept pushing forward. Even those bombs were landing hard. So very impressive to both gentlemen. And I don't think Burgos had anything to be disappointed about. I think both Dana White and the fans are happy on both the performances. Oh, yeah. That's even if you lose fights like that, I think it's easier to negotiate a contract. If you're like, let's say that was the last fight in your contract, even if you lose with the stature he has. I mean, he never stopped uh, pressing forward. He never stopped pressing forward, even though he was yeah. getting hit. And Emmett, bro, that was so agreed with you there. Uh, before we break that down too much, uh, shout out to our boy Camacho, who a uh, loud and proud island boy. He went out there, did his thing. I mean, it's super tough. The fight game is the most brutal sport because unfortunately, um, you know, you get caught early and it's just, that's it. That's all. That's the only chance you get. Y'all, you know, it's not like a soccer game. No offense to soccer, big fan of soccer, but you get scored in the first 30 seconds of the game. You got an hour and a half to make up for it. Um, in a fight, you get rocked and the other guy's just going to try to finish you until the referee separates. And unfortunately, uh, Camacho at like 41 seconds was officially stopped. Um, but nonetheless, we held a nice watch party at the house. We, we celebrated a night of triumph. I mean, the dude had to travel during Corona. He, I mean, he did extensive, extensive four week stuff that he had to really work on. And, and man, we had him here twice and, and we can't wait to have him back. So shout out to Camacho. Uh, yes, we, we uh, a lot of, a lot, a lot of, a lot of pride here. We, you know, hold your head up champion. And the, the truth is he still has one fight left on his contract. So if that one goes really well, uh, 
who knows? Who knows? You know, like this is it's too, it's still it's still early in the game in terms of I mean, he does want to retire soon ish in terms of years. It's not going to be like he's fighting for another 10 years. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, we definitely hope he's got we're, we're rooting for him to have more years ahead. So cheers to Camacho. Got that out of the way. It was it was sad news, but nonetheless, bittersweet because who will ever understand or know what it's like to step into the actual UFC octagon? It's it's for sure. For sure. The percentage of the population that gets to do that. And the fact that this dude comes all the way from Guam, a place that statistically speaking should have no representation in the UFC and he's in there. So yep. no, no fans, fans need to understand that, you know, the, there's a lot of plan that goes into these fights. It's not just go out there and beat this guy up and, and you got a, you got a fighter who's last minute. So you didn't plan for this guy. Your whole strategy was, was based off of another guy. So that's something to consider in terms of Camacho and, and why it makes it more reason why it's tough. This game is really tough. The guy he fought, Justin, speaking of toughness, very tough. I mean, he he didn't have a fight camp himself. I mean, at least Camacho had some form of fight camp. Some would argue, though, that more of a fight camp is worse if they switch your fighter because you've been training to fight one style and now you have sure. to really undo versus if you're just a guy who's just going to see what happens and go crazy, you don't need a fight camp for that. Um, I will say this, though. This was a very interesting lesson and something that maybe we're not trained to think about as watchers, but the truth is that... Um, Man, think about it. If you haven't had a fight camp for a fight, right? You get called in three days notice to fight Camacho. What is the first thing that comes through your head? Like, well, obviously this dude has the cardio for it, my opponent. Let's say I'm about to fight Camacho. What's, what's my one chance? Is to try to get a hit early. Because if I let this go to a three-round war, he's going to have the better conditioning. He's been cutting weight. He's been, tra- he's been training heavy cardio. I'm coming off a three days notice with no fight camp. My, my winning chance of this fight is a knockout. And, and, and what am I going to do? I'm going to come out brawling. And I think that Camacho's warrior ment- mindset and, and need to come forward and, and just like hang in the pocket, I think, I think it was a chance that if Camacho didn't take that chance, his odds would have gone through the roof. I think he would have had a better fight overall if he just would have hung in there and tired out Justin over time. Uh, but again, hindsight 2020, we're not in there. But, but I'm just saying, these are all the strategies you would talk about. And I think Justin also just gambled. You know, he, he has this last-minute opportunity in the UFC that he never expected. And he goes, you know what? I'm just going to go out there and, like, literally go, go for that highlight knockout. And if it works out, amazing, which it did. And if it doesn't work out, well, I wasn't in the UFC yesterday. And I went. So it's like, you know, you're not losing yeah. much. He had nothing to lose, really. So he, he gambled, and it worked in his favor. First fight in the UFC, too. I mean. Yeah, it's a Cinderella story all around. So, so yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, hats off to the guy who did it, and 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 we're gonna see Camacho again. So I'm not worried. Um, but yeah, so moving on to the main card, um, we talked about our favorite fight. I, I do think I do want to talk about my favorite finish, and of course, you cannot. Uh, yeah, here we go. I cannot help but not talk about. <laughs> I cannot help to not talk about the not submission that didn't happen. <laughs> the Jim Miller submission was absolutely bonkers, man. I loved it. I loved how he. How Roberts thought he was safe by standing up. He put the leg over the face, got the arm bar. Oh, that arm bar was sick, bro. I'm yeah, sorry. It was deep. It was deep. My, my girl got really scared because she was next to me while I was watching. And my reaction was just like, what's it? She's like, what happened? What happened? I'm like, bro, I just saw someone's elbow about to be inverted. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, crazy. And, and that, that, is, that, that was a near break. I mean, I, I don't think it was very, very far from breaking that arm because, you know, you're talking about the, his weight on the arm as you're picking him up you know he tried to do the white belt move which is to do what <laughs> pick up the guy and slam him i was just gonna say that i think for any people who you know are either new to jujitsu or trying to learn more from it that's 
101 right there mistake you you don't uh, you're making it easier on the on the opponent by extending an arm by standing up you want to you know put your weight towards your arm allow that elbow to bend not give not make it easy for your opponent to be able to stretch out and put those hips under your elbow of course and what he did was he lifted which which sometimes it could help i mean it depends how good he has it but there are times where lifting will get your shit broken yeah um, it's, it's, he extended the arm for him pretty much Oh man, I've seen I've seen that move where the guy who's getting armbarred moves his head towards his back so that so that the guy who get who tries to pick up and slam actually comes forward on that arm and all that happens is the arm gets bent this way and it's straight elbow to the mat and it breaks the arm immediately. Yep. It's the most disgusting gruesome thing that you can have happen at a moment's notice. Cuz it, it it requires no torque at that point. It's all your weight crashing down against the you know counter direction to where your elbow's mm-hmm. supposed to bend. That's that's number one way to to break your arm without resistance, without any. You know, of- you know, it's an ugly submission when the guy verbally taps, and that's what we heard. Roberts just yelling, tap, 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 tap. <laughs> oh, Very and scary. They replayed it. They replayed it. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and that's that's career ending. I mean, if you would have done massive damage, that can be career ending. So it's scary. That's another thing is that arm bars by nature. Um, it's not so much the fact that you broke a bone. It's, it's how the armbar breaks it that makes it very difficult for the arm to recover. It's a lot of ligaments you tear. It's a, lot, it's, it's a very complicated break. The armbar, that's why um, they say that anybody who does jiu-jitsu in a street fight, if, if you really care about making sure everyone's safe, not a life or death situation. Like You're just trying to contain someone, and armbar is not the way to go because you can actually yeah. uh, do a permanent injury with an armbar. Most, most joint locks, honestly. I mean, in, Referring to your example, you're just better off choking someone out. Like leave the joints alone, whether it's knee bars, you know, shoulder, kimuros, anything like that. Leave the joints alone. I, I agree. I think I think uh I think for the safety of everyone, it's better to just get the get the rear naked triangle, uh, you know, bow choke, whatever. Just leave leave my joints alone. I agree. Especially leg locks. Ugh, leg locks yeah. are the worst. And by nature. Um, we're we're I'm I'm taking us off in another direction here, which I which I should stop. But by That's nature, by by <laughs> By nature, uh, leg locks are actually um, the most dangerous because they're the limb that you're least used to, to having in danger the way that your hand, like you're used to your hands. Like if, if somebody twists your pinky, it doesn't take you very long to go, wait, wait, that looks, that feels weird. With your leg though, there's something that happens. Yeah. And with experience, you realize, man, like you don't really know which, to what point your legs can withstand before they Well, not, not to get too nerdy on the listeners, but there is a scientific explanation to it, but actually... Uh, the nerves that go rub around the legs, some circuits, like that's why when, when you go to the doctor, they do that knee jerking test. That's because that circulatory system there is actually separate from the central nervous system. So a lot of times, by the time you feel pain coming from your legs, it's already broken. And that's one of the reasons why it's so dangerous. And like, even a lot of tournaments don't allow it if you're, let's say, below a blue belt or purple belt because it, it happens that fast. I mean, you can literally have snapped the guy's knee. And he still hasn't felt the pain because the, the relay to the brain just takes a little bit longer. And it's just yes. scary. Yes. And I've had pressure put on me to where after, like, I tap out of reflex. I go tap, tap, tap. But I'm not feeling the pain yet. I'm not feeling yeah. the pain. It's just thanks to the fact that I'm educated in jujitsu and, and in how my body can get distorted a little more than usual because I do jujitsu and people are constantly fucking me up. Thanks to that, I'm aware of, oh, oh, that's no good. But it's not because I'm feeling pain at the very moment. And then when they let go, then I feel this rush of, oh, gee, what the fuck? And then for the next night, I'm sore yeah. because it twisted awkwardly. And, and, I've, and I've had to limp a little bit. And no major injury, nothing, nothing, right? But the fact that it took me that long to realize pain-wise that much later is scary. And so that's, that's a lot of advice I give to newcomers to jiu-jitsu as well. I say, look, it's just not worth it. If, you're, if you see yourself trapped and the guy's going for a heel hook, 
or a knee bar, even before he has it, I'm already tapping, honestly, like if I'm training, because it's just not worth it. Like, it, it's a regular sparring day. I'm trying to come back the next day. All right, dude, you got me. Let's move on. Like, I'm not trying to fight this guy off of a knee bar, even if I don't maybe not feel it just yet. I just tell a lot of new beginners, like, look, it's not worth it. Fight, live to fight another day. Yeah, dude, come back tomorrow. I mean, so exactly. stupid. I have gone on my, uh, you don't have to go too far. You go on my Instagram. I got a video where I get, uh, I got straight, uh, clean, uh, straight heel, heel hooked or some shit. I forgot what it was. I think it was ankle lock. I think it was ankle lock. Whatever. I tapped right away. The dude, as, before he even snapped all the way back, I was already tapping. Cause yeah, bro, in, in a competition where a guy's going to use full force, I'm not going to wait for him to lock it in. And he already had it anyway. And I could tell he was about right. to start to crank it. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to wait till you crank it to tap. So I tapped and the referee stopped it right away. Yeah, especially as an enthusiast where you're not getting paid for this. You have a job and a life outside of jujitsu. You need to be healthy and safe and like, it's not worth the, the risk. For sure. For sure. So again, nerding out because Jim Miller, the old veteran of the UFC um, submitted Roberts via armbar. And by the way, a guy from Miami I used to work with him, but uh, uh, it was uh, Tehran. He, his cousin is Roberts. So uh, there's friends of mine who know him. It was, it was heart, cool. another, another heartbreaker, bro. This was like everybody that I know who knew somebody in this fight, in this, in this fight night got fucked. <laughs> Just the, the brutality of it. it um, let me give a quick shout out to Tisha because Tisha did a phenomenal performance and her uh her kicks were so much more improved than what we've seen i don't know if she's always had that in her arsenal and never used it because she was just too gun shy but man did she let those those axe kicks and side kicks go it was so nice to watch i think you would appreciate that with your background definitely i you know i like i love my strikers i i think one thing that might have affected a lot of the fighter style this past weekend is, which I didn't know until afterwards, is the octagon is actually a lot smaller than regulation size. Max. I wasn't aware of this coming in. And I think we saw that in the main event uh, where Blades took advantage of that wrestling and just wanted to get them to on the fence and take them down. And then we saw it also with strikers. Well, maybe they're not the best wrestlers, so they're going to use their distance with kicks and keep the other opponent away, being that it's a smaller cage and not risking that close-to-close contact. And I, I, think, that, I think that affected a lot of the fighters this weekend. Of course, man. It really does. They've big talk all over the league. Um, and I'm the nerd in my house who, whenever I watch a soccer match or a UFC fight, I'm very good because, uh, fun fact, soccer in some leagues, depending on who's home, there is a certain, let's say this is the width of your field. Regulations allow you to extend it up to this much and up to this skinny. Like there, there's a certain length you're allowed to have the field. So like, if, yeah. So in some leagues, like for example, if you're playing at my house and I know that your style is to kick a lot of rolly passes that go long distance. I'm going to shorten the I'm going to play the shortest possible field so that I can intercept those easier. If I like to play long game, I will open up the field to its long. Well, anyway, UFC same thing. They depending on the venue and whatever it is decided, they can actually make the octagon way smaller to whatever reasons they have. They want to promote more stand up fights, they want to have more action, they make the octagon smaller. How do you feel about that? That's an interesting topic to to discuss because I don't know. I think if I was to be a fighter in the UFC, I, I need to know that's going to be the same. I need to build a game plan and not have to worry about what size octagon is because it is a big deal. It throws off your game if, if wrestling's not your game or you, you, you play the distance too much. I don't know how I feel about it, bro. I, I, you, this is the first time I've actually thought, like, I've been like, oh, that's interesting. I've had, dumbass me hasn't actually gone, well, how do you feel about that? Well, if we're going to look at this from a traditional standpoint, I will say, I will say that um, I feel as though, yes, there should be a standard, I would say. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with standard. But at the same time, 
you know, um, why not? Why not have different? Uh, why not have have? To, okay, let me let me put my thoughts together here. What if it be it be more exciting over time to see how fighters fight in different size octagons? For example, like testing a fighter's uh, ability to uh, be spot to to be to to adapt to his environment. Would that be something you're interested in or just see how fighters fight under only one regulation size octagon? So because we're fans, we're always open to these type of things because we don't lose. You know, we're here to watch the fights and, our, and after the fights are done, we go back to our everyday life. But when you want a sport to succeed and to only progress and to keep getting bigger and better, you also have to protect the athletes because they're, gonna, they're the ones that are they're making a living off of this and they're going to want to come back or motivate the next generation. So to me, it's hard to not think about the fighters. And then as a fighter, I, don't, I can't see them liking that uh, because, again, there's, uh, maybe people don't see this, but there's a lot of plan to go to, that goes into these fights. That's why these, these uh, camps are 12, 6, 8, 9 weeks where, where these coaches are breaking down the science of the opponent or, or they're breaking down the strategy that's best going to help their fighter. And, and when you're talking about guys who are so dependent on a specific style – and, and coming in a month before the fight, oh, by the way, you're fighting this guy and it's a much smaller octagon, you know, that, that can really throw off a camp. And then you got to talk about really big names in terms of people whose careers are already built upon their success and every fight counts. What I'm talking about most recently is what, just, what was just announced is that the Stipe and DC fight, part three, is going to be in the apex. So it's a smaller octagon. Oh, let's go. <laughs> so that's DC's game all day now. So it's almost, you know, best to, best to ask, is that fair for Stipe? And are we really seeing who the better fighter is compared to every other heavyweight championship? We would be able to see who the best, well, I mean, there's so many philosophical issues with, with, uh, with just the very basics of this question. But, but um, if we're trying to be as loose as possible to have a just you know a short podcast i would say um no 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 because what happened is you have well, all you've tested is different if every time they fight you have different things going on different variables at play you being the scientist that you are you know how f much fuckery comes with that we'll never really know like oh look at that dc wins if the octagon is smaller because there's less where there's less places to run for miochik uh, whereas if the octagon's larger, Miochik can stuff the takedown, move move laterally with more space, counter, and Miochik is at a disadvantage. So I I think that if we're gonna at least try to see who's the better overall fighter, um, we could maybe run four fights and have two in each type of octagon, and at least split it. At least split it. Um, but then but then you have a tie, and you would need a fifth fight for a tiebreaker. Yeah, and and not to mention business wise, that's just not wise. I feel like Dominic. most people after a third fight, they're like, I don't want to see more of this. I'm no, done. I'm I can't think of a part four fight in the UFC's history ever. I three is the max I've ever seen in MMA. I can't. If I had to guess, just because they've been around for so long, probably some some like rampage Vanderlei type of fight. Like I feel like those guys fought so many times. Ah, okay, maybe not all in the UFC, but they've had a bunch of fights together. They they've had one in the UFC, right? one in the ufc two in pride so now i can't i don't know the stats on that but again in in the ufc as we know it i don't see anybody um going four fights frankie edgar and gray maynard had three uh let's see who else had a trilogy uh couture uh sorry or didn't ortiz and no they didn't go three today shamrock and ortiz had three you never even want an even number anyways because 
fans are always going to ask for that fifth one if it's two and two or if it's three and three. So that's already a problem as it is just having four. You don't want that even number. So I say if you're going to do a fight, I, I, okay, how about this? Championship fights. Championship fights need to have uh, some kind of, uh, what do you call it, regulation. Um, I, I really think that they should. So, yes, the word is regulation. I do think that for title fights, we should definitely, definitely, definitely um, try to find some kind of regulation size. Be it, be it different for women and men because of proportions and all that, great. I don't care. Um, then it gets tricky, right? Like, hey, do you have the same size octagon for a championship fight in the heavyweight? And then do you have that? Do you hold that standard to a lightweight fight? Or do you want to do like, it's just, it's just so hard, man. Yeah, and it's just the thing is that, and especially in MMA, especially because if there's one thing everyone always talks about in MMA is, okay, who's the best heavyweight ever? Who's the pound for pound? And, then, and, and when you talk about, when you have those discussions, every little factor, every little variable matters. And I mean, and don't get me wrong, if DC was, was to win the third match, I'm not going to be like, yeah, but that's because of the case. Like, definitely not. I mean, it's not like it was that big of a variable. It's, you know, you still got Stipe can still, just, can still take advantage just as much as DC does. But, but, I, but in terms of legacy and things like that, you know fans are going to talk about it. Even reporters are going to talk about it. They're going to bring it back. We're like, well, can you really say DC is the best? Where, you know, a couple of his fights were in a smaller ring. And that's just a hypothetical, of, of course. So, so uh, if you can just keep it standard, like any sport, where have you seen sports? Sports in general are always eliminating variables. You don't, you don't have, again, another baseball example. You don't have baseball fields where it's 90 feet to first base or some are going to have 80. You know, it's always 90. You know, things like just variables that you can eliminate so you can really test the athletes. But baseball does have that issue where if you're in Marlins Park and then if you go to Chicago, you have a 300-yard – you have a 300 the home runs. Right, right. Okay, okay, fine, fine. For the sake of, like, what's happening elsewhere, yes, yes, yes. And and football. Football is actually – football and basketball, you know – like for example, like basketball, it was really hard to convince people uh, that don't know about basketball what is so different about home field advantage because it's like, yo, if all the courts are that, like, they're literally all the same material. The nets are the same, the hoops are the same. What changes? And of course, it's when you're shooting a free throw, you have this shit. <laughs> but anyway, what I'm trying to say is, yes, I I would be okay with regulation for title fights just to keep consistency. I'm not saying I don't I don't think anybody in the right mind would start to argue things like. Oh, Miochik won because he had a small. Well, I, I understand that people are not going to make excuses, but it does. It does affect, like you said, MMA does have such a variance in styles that I do think that the minute you start changing that dimension, it really affects the way that certain styles can come into play. If I'm an, if I'm a boxer, and you make the ring this small, and I'm and you put me up against the wrestler, I'm fucked because as soon as you say go, the guy can yeah. shoot the takedown, and I'm so screwed. I'm just trying to stop. I'm just trying to solve problems for the USC and, and we live in a trigger culture and, and I, I, I'm just saying, man, it could totally happen. I totally believe that if it becomes a massive wrestling match, because DC's already stated that this week, if people are up to date with the media. And again, I don't know if he's just, he's throwing that out there to throw Stipe off and then coming in with a different game at, when it comes fight night. But he's said, I'm going for that leg for that single. My game's going to be wrestling and that's it. Cause I'm going to take advantage of that small octagon. Now, let's say that is the case, and it's very noticeable compared to the first and second fight that DC just dominated him, and the wrestling was a factor. You can, you're going to even have future problems where anytime that an apex presents themselves and, and, and there's a fighter who's a striker, he might even turn the fight down just because. 
Yeah, imagine uh, fighting Khabib. <laughs> in yeah. the it, it, what are you doing? It doesn't matter. I don't, at that point, it doesn't matter. You're not. Fight, it's a sambo match. It's not even whatever. And they're you want. heavyweight, so it's the biggest guys in the league. Like My at least if they were flyweight or something. The UFC's got money up the ass. They built. They they built a fight island. I have to put a lot of quotes on that because that that statement has got a lot of bullshit in it. The built part and the island part. But anyway, <laughs> um, at least it. If, and if you guys uh, want a little more detail, we, we go into that. We go into the fuckery from last episode. But in this episode, yes, we're talking about the fuckery of the small octagon. I do think that um, with all the money they have, if you can build a fight island, I think you can modify your octagon from one event to the next, and even if it is in the apex. Again, asshole here who doesn't know the, how the structure works. I get it. Ignoranto, ignorante. But <laughs> truth is... It is what it is, man. It is something of a, of a conversation. And I do think that, that if they really wanted to, bro, come on, bro. They can really make it happen. They can really make it so that it's not the same octagon every single time in the apex. But hey. And, and I'm not going to lie and pretend like I know all the details. To be honest with you, I don't know the, really the much difference in, in measurements. It, it might not even be that much, but I just feel if it's being brought up by fighters and the media, it must be somehow effective. I mean, I, I know... Um, the main event, uh, I can never pronounce the guy's name, Kov- uh, Volkov. Oh, yeah. If you saw him, I know he's a tall guy, but dude, he made that octagon look like a playpen. Those guys were huge, man. And it was just like, where are they? They're like in a little sandlot. And it's like those little doggy cages where they keep, because holy shit, dude, that guy's shoulders were above the cage. Yeah, yeah. Imagine Steven Struve showing up there. It, it'll be okay. like, all right, all right, that's it. It's done. It, we're not having this fight. I'm canceling the fight for you guys because man, it is it is kind of um it is kind of weird. And and by the way, now that we're on the topic, what do you think of the main event? A lot of people saying Curtis Blades is a boring fighter. What are your takes on his style? Well, I, I, he protected himself a little bit by saying that by calling that he he you know he stated, hey, like I'm gonna go out there and just throw this what guy around and hold him down. So at least he did that and not the opposite, which can always make you look worse. My only issue with his style of fighting that night, I got him the W. That's fine. It's just I, I, it, he's pretty close to a contendership with uh, for the championship. And and knowing just knowing how Dana White runs the UFC, he should have probably did a little better performance to impress him for a shot at the title. Because that's going to be a variable that's going to affect Dana's decision making after a Stipe and DC match. Um, in terms of, well, Blade, yeah, Blade's won his last fight, but uh, he's kind of boring. I need to make a bigger heavyweight match. And, and, and Dana's done it before where he's not, he doesn't care where you are in the rankings. He's going to go for the money fight. So Blade's hurt himself in that sense. Um, the truth is, yeah. I just think that on the other hand, the way you guarantee you really don't get the title fight is if you don't win at all. So I think, I think what you do at this point is just say, look, man, my style. I mean, Curtis Blades, yeah, he has some exciting finishes and stuff like that. And I'm quoting all this because to me, his, his ground game is really impressive. Again, and the argument from the people is not that it's not impressive. It's that, that it's the least exciting. And like what you said, it's true. Uh, Dana White is wanting exciting champions. He does not want another Khabib or George St. Pierre. He's already got those guys. Um, and, and the truth is that, for example, even Chuck Liddell himself back in the old days, he used to like to have more wrestling background, and, and he was pressured to, to strike more, which is how Chuck Liddell became the striking phenom that, he, that he's known for. Um, but yeah, going back to this, I do feel that you need to first guarantee your way to a title shot by winning. And if it means doing things that are not as exciting, you know, but the truth is, on the flip side, you have guys like Francis Ngannou. How has Ngannou not gotten a title shot? He's in the talks. I was actually listening today. And yeah, it seems like that might be the plan for DC uh, Stipe after that. 
But but going back to Blades, if the real shocker of that fight to me was because Blade has amazing endurance for heavyweight. I mean, he was still going for those shots late into the fight, which is pretty impressive. Those, those, I mean, that whole ground game is very tiring just after two rounds, especially as a heavyweight. I, I, I saw him doing, like, I saw, okay, maybe do that for two rounds, get Volkov tired, and then see if he can sneak in, like, a TKO or, or a knockout in those, like, last four, two rounds. But the fact that he just maintained the same strategy, again, yeah, it might guarantee you the win, but I felt like he could have been a little riskier there at the end. Yeah. Uh, until we see the fights where a guy risks it and gets caught when he shouldn't have, you know, like there's always that chance. And I, I I'm sorry, I, I, I know, I know. I'm being, no, I totally I'm, see your point. I mean, yeah, I, you're right. I, I, if I've got it in the bag, I, there's comes to a certain point where, okay, so we all applaud the guy. Here, here's my, here's my stance. I applaud everyone who says, hey, even if you're winning it, just go out there and show us some more. We want excitement, sure. But I'm also of the mentality, and, and I think so are you. I'm not saying you're against me on this. I think you're also the mindset that if somebody were to work hard the first four rounds and then be looking at round five coming up and saying, well, I've got the fight in the bag. I'm not, I'm not going to step off the pedal, but I'm certainly going to let go a little bit because uh, you know, I, I've earned it. I, I'm okay with that as well. Like when Mayweather outboxed Pacquiao for 10 rounds and he came out soft in the 11th and 12th, um, I was okay with that. A lot of people criticize it. I was okay with it. I mean, he outboxed for 10 rounds. He, the burden is on Pacquiao now. He, he, yeah. he did his damage and he's chilling. He's won the fight. That's true. Um, and, and why take a risk? Why, why after working my ass off for 10 rounds, do I have to now be the exciting guy? I've, I've been winning the fight. If he wants to make the fight exciting, he's got to come get it now because I've been doing it for the first 10. So I can see both sides. Now, from a spectator point of view and a selfish prick that I am, yeah, I would have loved to see Curtis go in there and just throw like some crazy shit. So maybe some more boxing I would have liked to see just to see how mixed he is. You know, just to, if I had to criticize him, I'd be like, okay, we know you're a great wrestler. Uh, what else do you bring to the table that it can excite fans? Right. So probably. yeah, and, and just just to further add to your point, which is I, yeah, 100% correct. Uh, Curtis could also have just been because the heavyweight division is not too deep, so it's not like other divisions where you have to fight a little bit more to climb to that uh, championship opportunity. So maybe yeah, maybe he was playing it safe, staying healthy, getting that W, knowing that no matter what, there's not so many people that can really pass him for that contendership. Yep. So that's that's where we are with that. I, uh, you know, I can, I can see both sides. So, so, but, but I'm, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is I don't condemn him either way. I would have liked to have seen more. Sure. And if that's your argument, yeah, of course I would always like to see more. No doubt. You know, there's never enough, but in terms of like a career move, possible title contention in the future, Francis Ngannou in the mix, you don't know how things are going secure a win first and see what the next fight lands you. And then if you, you know, but I think for example, like the fact that Francis didn't get a title shot after knocking out Kane, it's like, what else do you need to see, bro? He took out Curtis blades in less than two minutes. He knocked out Kane in 30 seconds or so. He knocked out, uh, um, he knocked out Alistair Overeem in the first round KO. He's, he's just on a tear. He's literally finishing everyone. His only bad fight. He's only has two bad fights. The Black Beast fight, which was more, considered one of the most boring fights of all time. I forgot if he even won that. And he has the fight against Miochik, <clears throat> where he got out-wrestled. Uh, so again, his only two fights have been... His only bad fights have been two of them. And, and they weren't like... I mean, come on, they're not anything worthy of kicking him out of contention altogether. So why, I don't know, man, to me. Yeah, and, and if, you, if you go off of his Instagram, which I follow, man, the guy's in amazing shape right now. Like, he's really taking advantage of this quarantine. I mean, I feel like he can go five rounds, like, full power. As a heavyweight, again, as a heavyweight, that's very hard. Yeah, no, and he didn't do bad in terms of cardio. He had decent cardio against Miochik. It's just that, again, Miochik's style was not to stand there and get hit by Ngannou. I, think, I just think that an Ngannou who can get some real good defense in wrestling 
and some ground game awareness to where he, he can get at least just defensive, like be a defensive dude, just go in there and just whatever he, if he takes you down, get back to your feet and give yourself a striking chance. If you can do that where, because what happened was in the first fight, Miocic controlled too much. So without making this too long of a segment on Miocic, on this fight, um, I would just say, I would love to see Nganu fight the winner of Miocic DC three and no, and if, or buts about it, I, ca- I cannot stand to see a guy like Nganu fight someone else and risk not being a, a title contender after he's knocked out so many people in the division. And, and I'm sorry, Cain Velasquez was just the icing on the cake. Yeah, DC just when when he decided to move up in weight, he he kind of just disturbed the entire division. You know, big name guy going for two titles, he he kind of went in there and just really messed it up for a lot of people because obviously the tension is going to go towards him. And then he won the championship, so hmm. you know what are you going to do? Well, yeah, and he won it, and now it's one one, and and we're getting a part three, so I'm excited for that. But the exciting thing is that for sure it, it seems like DC's retiring no matter what, win or lose. So there's going to be a vacant match after that. So there, at least two new guys should get an opportunity. I, I don't I don't see Stipe getting it, but maybe. Yeah, so even if Stipe wins, it'll be Stipe, let's say in Ghana. Um, right. I mean, and that's a smart move on Cormier. He's he's an upwards thirty, you know. Uh, he, you know, he's achieved all the things. All the good things are probably not going to be in his future. Like all the best things he's done is already in the past. So yeah, and he said himself. He's he said he's making money on media and on like broadcasting and stuff. He's fine. Why keep taking damage? You have a family. Just go raise your kids. You're good. You you have your legacy. Both as an yeah. Olympian and a wrestler and a, an MMA fighter. Yeah. So to me, Cormier has done his thing and. And uh, the last topic on this podcast episode is going to be on coaching. Um, and you, you had more you wanted to say on the issue because I didn't notice as much. But I, go, what was your take on the coaching situation that we saw? And what fight was that again? Was it? Yeah, the, so it was the very, very first fight of the prelims of the entire night. Uh, Huber versus Rushkoff, I believe is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, everyone's talking about it. it. It was pretty controversial. And, and it's one topic that's interesting because we, it's, you don't really see much of it. But again, going back to our last episode, we're hearing things now that we normally don't hear without because there's no fans. And just to catch all the listeners up, essentially this fighter by between the second and third round is continuously repeating to his coach, like, call it, call it, I'm done, I can't continue, stop the fight. Which again, very rare to hear from a fighter. So it makes you think. And the coach is just pretty much disregarding it. So like, nah, you got this, keep going. So it really sparked a debate in the community in terms of, was it right for the coach? Because coaches will be coaches. They're there to motivate you and to push you. So you can't completely hate the coach. And at the same time, it, it, it brings up the, the, the question of, of the safety for fighters, if this is something that's going to continue. And, and now that we, now we, I've learned that the commission is actually investigating this. What are they investigating exactly? What are they going to look into? I, I think they're just going to kind of probe at the situation and see, because I, I, think, I, think, I think they just want to eliminate uh, the possibility that the coach is just, was just looking out for himself, which would be incorrect because you're there to protect the fighter first and foremost. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, I've, I've, I've I read a little bit of the interview of the, of the coach afterwards, and he pretty much felt confident that he knew his fighter, which is, which is, is, uh, is believable. I think, valid. I think it's valid, yeah. Yeah, co- coaches are training with these guys day in, day out for weeks at a time. So his, his argument was like, look, I, I, knew my, I know my fighter. I know he wasn't severely hurt. He just needed that little push, which again, that's a coach's job, so he can't be mad. Yeah. But you know, the, you got a fighter who nine times repeated, call it, I'm done. And then he himself was the one that had to quit afterwards because uh, I, I learned that officially the only person that can call the fight is the referee. So it was, it was once the third round was about to begin, the fighter had to walk over to the referee and whisper like, I, I can't continue. So that's when they called it. 
Yeah. That was a very interesting sequence, by the way. I don't think we've ever seen something so, I mean, I'm sure it happens all the time, maybe, and we just don't see it, but we got a chance to really eyeball this one where, uh, you know, the guy went back to his corner. He's getting his ass beat. I mean, you could tell he was being out. That's the scary part. It, it's, it's not that he was fighting back. No, he was, every time he threw, he missed and the guy was punching him, punching him, punching yeah, yeah. him. It was, it, it was just such an outclass. And the guy was getting beat morally and physically. I mean, he was just demoralized. And of course, that's not a good feeling when you combine those two. And I'm sure, I'm sure as hell he, he was, you know what really did it, if I had to guess? Those ripping body shots. Bam, bam. Those, they just, if you're tired, they make you even more tired. It's just, fighting's tough, man. I'm surprised we don't see this more often. But long story short, what ends up happening is after getting, I mean, completely got trashed, at the end of the third, second round, going to the third, right? He would. He was like. He was. He was sitting there like he was heads down. He was. I can't feel. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And his coach like, what do you mean? What the, and of course. And let's be real. What is a coach's job? Yes, you are. You're a freaking champion. You get your ass back in there. And the guy's like, no, I can't. No, I'm really hurt. I'm really hurt. I can't do this. And of course, if you've seen your fighter in training do this when they haven't suffered injuries, and there's maybe there's a little history there of behaviors that we're not familiar with. I think it's okay for the corners to say. Hey man, I know you have the tendency to behave this way when you're when you feel beat, but listen, you still have a right and a left hand that work. Get your ass in there and throw them, see what happens. Where do you draw the line between I know you pussy out sometimes and I want and it's my job to push you? Yeah. Versus and I think this is the dilemma we're gonna arrive to. It's so anyway, without let me give you this let me finish the synopsis. Guys saying I can't, the coach pushing him, guy stands up, he literally ignores his coach. He walks over to the referee who, like you said, is the one that has to make the official decision. A fighter can't throw in his own towel. He has to, it has to be somehow communicated to the referee. He says to the referee, I can't continue. Referee did a very good job. He says, I understand you're saying, let's stop the fight. Are you sure? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, all right. And then he calls it, right? At that point, um, a lot of things go into play. Like, is that worth investigating? Of course. Of course. Because like you said, there might be alternative motives that are not uh, driven from the fighter to continue. And that's not healthy. Um, but you can also give some of the benefit of the doubt to the coaches. Like, Hey man, this is just a me and my fighter kind of thing. Like he's just the type of guy that sometimes quits. Not, not a lot of people know this. This is just a fun fact for y'all, but this guy tends to say I can't anymore when I know he can. And afterward, he always thanks me for pushing him. So I'm just doing that tonight. So don't get mad at me. And both those are valid. So what do you really investigate there? How do you, it's hard to know if that's moral or immoral. Um, but I do think that sometimes if you combine that with how much damage he took, you, at that point, you go, well, dude, he's taken a lot of damage. This is not just I'm tired or I'm beat. No, this is like I'm beat up, and there's a difference. Yeah. So I think I think it's one of those situations where we're not gonna have, we're not gonna come to an answer that's perfect, and all we can do is learn. And I think we are it's for both UFC's learning because it must be stated that this guy took this fight last minute as well. So one of the arguments is he's just not ready for that UFC level. So he could have been fine, but he felt like okay, this is tough. Where am I right now? And, and only he would ever really know that. There's no way of going to it. And in terms of the investigation, I think the commission just wants to look good. I'm, like I said, I don't think anything's going to come out of that investigation that's going to hurt the coach. It's just like, okay, look at us doing our job, blah, blah, blah. So that's that's only that's, that's an important note to really focus on. But yeah, there's no answer, you know, because no one's really wrong and no one's really right. Only one person that's ever really going to know how they felt and if they were really hurt is the fighter. And, and maybe the coach afterwards after the fight when they got together and talked and maybe we, he finds out things he wasn't aware of during the fight. Yeah. But I think everyone learned. I think you, I think Dana's going to maybe think twice now with these last minute guys and where they're coming from and probably just cancel the fight altogether instead in the future. 
to avoid things like this. Yep, I agree. I think it's because you want essentially you want philosophically you want an organization that that does give the benefit of the doubt and says, hey, we're going to look into this because this is something that concerns the safety of fighters. We're going to do what we have to do. But when they walk into the gym, they're going to go, hey, why'd you push him? Oh, because he's a pussy. Okay, cool. Bye. You know, at the end of the day, what are you going to do? Um, yeah, the and f- it, nothing wrong happened. Right. And it seems like the fighter has no, like nothing against his coach at all. Like, like after everything happened, he, he's, he's like, yeah, they're still cool and everything. So it's not like the fighter's going to come out and say anything bad about the coach. So yeah, that's not going to go anywhere. It, it, but, but it's still crazy because it's, it's, it's a card where we have two last minute guys and it polar opposite results. Yeah. So it's just like, well, what is it? <laughs> no, yeah, no. The, the Camacho was a huge underdog. Uh, uh, he was the huge favorite. Uh, the guy who fought Camacho, for example, I think, I think Camacho was like a 350 favorite because mm-hmm. of the fact that Justin hadn't trained. He wasn't a big name as much as Camacho. Like all, all these factors added together, which is what I'm saying. That, that, that hook was just him. Just He threw the same left hook twice. He threw it, landed, threw it again. He just kept going at it because that's all he had. Um, but yeah, so props to the underdogs on, on, on the prelims. That shit was crazy. But um, yeah, man. And, and so to wrap up on the subject of uh, fighter safety, I don't think this one's too much to pursue. Like you said, I think there are some philosophical issues. Like if, if okay, at the end of the day, a coach's job depends on how his fighter feels and no coach wants to put their fighter in spots they don't want to be in. It's a tough mix of things. So I, I, I would rate it on how the fighter feels. If, and if that's the case, then we can investigate the coach maybe. And then the fighter, the fighter has all the right to fire him and find himself a new coach. So exactly, I think there's enough control there to not worry about fighter safety too much. Although I do think, yes, you should always be as mindful as possible when you're about to push your fighter. But again, it's so hard to tell because the fight's a fight. It's always going to look terrible. Your fighter's never going to say, oh, I don't think I continue if things are going great. <laughs> you know, it's your job to remind him, hey, you're still fine. Just hang with me. Yeah. Um, you know, when a fighter says, oh, I can't feel my leg, the first thing you say is not, oh, really? Do you want me to massage? Like, you don't overdo it. You go, hey, fuck that shit. I need you here right now. <laughs> because what you want what you want is for your leg to be fucked up and still win. I can't control yeah. it. <laughs> and and if, it, if it's my guess, I think the coach is honestly looking out for his career because now we're in the situation where people are questioning whether he's even going to be allowed to stay in the UFC. Who, the coach? No, the, the fighter. Because one thing is to lose a match, but when you're quitting... I mean, Dana White said it himself. He's like, I, this guy, I just don't think he's ready. He's not at that UFC level. And when, when you got the president saying that, you, you might have just like blown your chances for a while to be at the UFC. So I think I, the coach might have realized he may, okay, maybe you're losing this fight, but man, you got to finish it. You got to finish because quitting is, you're putting this big target on your head as a quitter, which we've seen even, I mean, look at the last Spencer fight. She was getting pounded. She didn't quit, went through it. And I know every fight's different. I'm not saying that. that yeah, but it's what they're looking at. It's what they're looking at. But yeah, maybe the coach is looking out from in that sense, like, "Hey, look, okay, you might fight, you might lose this fight, but finish it because quitting is a whole different like image that you're putting on yourself." So I think that's my what my might have been what what was happening. Yeah, loud and clear. So anyway, guys, uh, you're, this is Roll once again bringing you the truth as Roll as it gets. Um, yes, uh, of course, I'm at Studio Z87. You're listening to Game On. The segment we're always going to do for you is called Fight On, and hopefully we'll have that logo coming soon so that Roll can put the actual Fight On logo. Um, but for right now, guys, thank you so much for joining Game On. Leave any comments if there are things you feel we should have talked about that are more important or disagree with, and we can make episodes about what our fans want. It's going to be our goal for the future is basically to have a conversation among ourselves based on what you want to hear. And the things that if you feel we're not addressing things in a fair way or that there's another perspective, amen. Comment sections right below here. Uh, always a pleasure. Rule. thank you so much, bro. Till next time, guys. Later, yo.